When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. You're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum Card member with global dining access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Bet the board. What do you mean you don't bet? I mean, I don't bet. You know, I don't care. I don't. Reserve. I never have, and I never will. Yeah, right. I bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. You owe me 15 grand, pal. Pay him. Pay that man his money. It's the Bet the Board podcast. God likes me. He really, really likes me. In the end, I wound up right back where I started. I could still pick winners. And I could still make money for all kinds of people back home. And why mess up a good thing? Here's Payne Insider and Todd Furman. Welcome into the Bet the Board podcast, powered by betonline.ag, and a special, special episode today for you, our loyal listeners. It's been a long time coming, and we'll get to those details in just a matter of minutes. I am your fearless leader, Todd Furman. I'm joined, as always, by my esteemed colleague and co-host, the man who does all the heavy lifting around these fine parts, the one, the only, Pain and Sire. 200th episode. The f- you know what? If we were to set an over-under on how long this podcast was going to stay on the air, what would you probably set it about, like 37 and a half and heavy juice going to the under? I would say so. And I think for the majority of our audience, they would have thought that would have been my undoing. But boy, if they only knew what it's like <laughs> to deal with you every day. <laughs> you know what? You're, you're a lucky man. I mean, three days a week during football season, bright and early every day, you get to wake up to my effervescent personality. You should count your lucky stars, pain that this is the hand that life has dealt you. You like now talking these big words at the open of the podcast. I did see you got called out, by the way. Which I should get called out for. I want to make sure people are listening. Your use of the word, what was it? Superfluous or something along those lines? Superfluous? What what line did you use last podcast? I can't remember what context I used it in. Okay. Someone someone smarter than apparently the both of us called you out and said, just totally botched it. I'm I'm glad we have people that are smarter than us listening to the podcast, because if we didn't, we'd be in big time trouble. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What are we doing? 200th contest. Yeah, 200th episode. Let's go. Oh. Lay us on to us. You've been building up this contest like it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. So, I mean, the pressure's on there, brother. Well, it's 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 twice as nice as the 100th contest promotion uh, because I, it's I just more money. Yeah. I see what you did there. So, today, bet the board, 200th episode, NFL contest for Monday Night Football. Buffalo and Green Bay might not be the best game, but at least you can watch it now if you weren't going to put money on it. Um, go over to our Twitter handle, Bet the Board Pod. You will see all the details there. It will be a pinned tweet. It's going to be a $200 cash prize. Uh, some Bet the Board swag as well. So you just want to follow those details. 
uh, and all the rules there. So go over to Bet the Board Pod. Uh, $200 cash up for grabs and a few other prizes as well. Yeah, make sure you're following the account. There'll be some fun stuff and plenty of opportunity. Get a little skin in the game uh, for otherwise, yeah, we'll call it uninspiring contest. One, of course, that we'll preview in greater detail. When we get to the fu- end of this fine episode, as always, Dr. David Chow at Pro Football Doc will be with us to put a nice little bow on some of the injuries we've seen week six that'll affect not only your sports betting, but your fantasy going forward. And as always, you, the loyal listener, you guys are the drivers for this podcast. iTunes reviews, promotions, free swag, five-star reviews continue to help us set bet the board records week in, week out. And Payne, I got a few tweets about this, and we figured, you know, when we talk about the Monday recap show, and we go through the good, the bad, and the ugly, I mean, this was a week where there was only one place to start, and I hope you have, I don't want to say it's an acceptance speech by any stretch of the imagination, but... I mean, we have to start with the team in your backyard. You're big on that game. You like that game. <laughs> I mean, I have to I have to give Brock Osweiler his due. It is Brocktober. Um, listen, big win for the Dolphins. It was a massive swing game for their season. So I think anytime you can get a win with Brock Osweiler as your quarterback in that spot, it's a positive. Uh, we have seen Gase win playoff games with Tebow. So, you know, I don't know if this is as shocking. But it was a decent day. I think he looked, uh, I'm being nice, semi-competent, right? He had a couple picks. <laughs> One was uh, real bad. One was basically a pick six. Got a couple nice bounces there in overtime. Uh, I thought this was a pretty big team effort, though. Uh, defensively, they had some some big turnovers. Uh, offensively, receivers created a ton after the catch, especially Albert Wilson there. Um, and I thought the offensive line was actually really good. It was the best performance any offensive line recorded this season against that Bears defense. I thought, you know, the bye week, um, and you made mention of this when we were chatting back and forth, that they went with the orange jerseys. I thought that would potentially help with the fatigue in in, in the heat. It didn't appear to be the case. Uh, Frank Gore wore them down as well. He was extremely sharp, provided some nice balance there. It was a good team win. It'll be interesting to see what comes out the other side with this Ryan Tannehill shoulder injury. Played through it last week at Cincinnati. Apparently uh, got nicked up in the Oakland game. My source told me he felt soreness uh, this past Wednesday. Tried to practice later in the week, but was kind of limited. Uh, My understanding was that if this was like a playoff game, he would have tried to kind of grit through it. But it'll be interesting because I didn't like what I heard from uh, Adam Gase in the presser. And I think, you know, this is the kind of spot where uh, Dr. Cha hopefully can shed a little light on explaining us, you know, what the injury means and how it could impact Tannehill's season going forward. I won't claim to have a sprained AC joint. I cracked mine back in the day, but wasn't a quarterback. and need arthroscopic surgery to get that How'd you manage fixed. to do this? Because we all want to know now. No, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm just telling you that's how I did it. I got myself hurt. But how? I, mean, I wasn't a quarterback. In- didn't have to go through the full range of motion. How did you get hurt? Was this during hockey? Were you, you know, walking up the steps? Where would you fall off the couch? What happened? <laughs> I didn't fall off a couch or fall off a ladder. Shout out to my brother-in-law who's probably not listening to this podcast. Um, I took a shot in, in practice, and so you couldn't really lift the shoulder. I used to go through cortisone injections once a week to try and get range of motion during the course of a hockey season before they went in there and they cleared out some of the cartilage. Interesting. Gotcha. So, All right, moving on. 
little, little bit different. I do want to ask you, though, because we are going to give Dolphins credit for it, and I have a number of close friends that are Bears fans. Is, did you see anything from the Bears that's reason to panic, or do we just go, hey, this is an isolated incident. It appeared the defense was ready for Ryan Tannehill, and this was the end result of Adam Gase having that trump card in his hand, which essentially became Brock Osweiler. <laughs> Uh, my feeling is they had, again, they had the buy. So they started their prep a little bit earlier, and I'm sure it was for Ryan Tannehill. Um, not that the offensive system was going to change a lot. There was a lot of short passes, but I think you know, we haven't seen teams perform very well out of the bye. It's really just a, a neutral situation now at this point with the CBA, and we're also seeing coaches kind of over prepare so to speak they're not doing what works they're throwing in wrinkles that are brand new and I get it but that seems to be just an ego situation we know Matt Nagy's fantastic I thought he called a pretty good game plan there but Mitchell Trubisky was pretty incompetent especially early the defense looked a step slow as if they hadn't played in a week and again I think that heat really got to them despite going with the orange jerseys instead of the darks Uh, but it was on field 102 degrees and so that's going to be the advantage of the Dolphins playing home games um, in September and early October. All right, and since I'm still in a good mood because the Broncos got not only you and I to the window, but also all of our loyal listeners with a backdoor cover that probably took way too much work, what were some of the other good performances you saw across the NFL this past weekend? Sam Darnold, baby. And listen, I, I heard and I've, I've seen major media outlets and personalities talk down about uh, Sam Darnold playing poorly in recent weeks and, and how he had really regressed since that opening night win against the Lions and, you know, just a bunch of, of garbage. Um, to me, that was never the case. And I think this is a good teaching point. You have to look at and measure the opponent you play every single week, not just to project before the game, but kind of, you know, to assess after the fact as well. And so the three losses for the Jets this year, you look at them in, in the three lackluster performances for, for Sam Darnold this year. They came against Jacksonville, Cleveland, and Miami. All three of those defenses came into the week uh, top five in defensive efficiency. The other three games, you know, Lions, Broncos, Colts, Sam Darnold was fantastic in those. They were not top five defenses. They were below average or average, and his offense has hung 34 or more. So uh, Sam Darnold is trending nicely. He's a young quarterback, so there's certainly going to be some bumps along the way. But when you back out, the teams that are just elite defensively, he's killed it. And so hasn't this Jets offense. You know, if we're going to talk about Sam Darnold, I want to give kudos to the man that was drafted right before him in the same city, although the franchise is going to rue the day. They took Saquon Barkley over Darnold. Barkley did what you'd expect. I mean, he was the key cog for the Giants, albeit in a disappointing performance against the Eagles. 13 carries, 130 yards on the ground, one touchdown, nine catches for 99 yards. And I know we talked about it during the draft pain that Barkley had to become a better pass catcher for him to really translate to an every down back. He's shown that at least early on and while he's a game breaker. I mean, if you're the Giants and you watch Watch Darnold as well as Barkley's played. You got to be kicking yourself, going, "We could have had our franchise quarterback and drafted a running back going forward." Yeah, and I think that's the question, right? Can he throw a football? Can he block for a thrower of the football? And I, I you know, the, the answer is obviously no. And Giants fans will get pissed off. And listen, Saquon's great, um, but you need the second overall pick to be great if you're drafting a running back. And so. You know, the performance on Thursday Night Football in front of a national audience has is, is got people oohing and on, and he was exceptional. Uh, and without him, that Giants offense is even more anemic. But 
you know, Barkley's being paid like an elite running back. So you should expect elite things. And when you're going to build this roster, I've talked about it ad nauseum now, and you're drafting a running back number two, uh, you are immediately forced to pay him as the highest, one of the highest paid running backs in the league. So if he's elite, great. You've got matching value. But Sam Darnold should have been the number two pick overall, and he becomes one of the more valuable commodities of your franchise, even if he's average, right? Because average quarterbacks right now are making $20 million a season. Sam Darnold's making a hair less than $6 million this season. So it's all about value when you're going to construct your roster with real money and a cap. So again, great game from Barkley. Um, actually, I thought coming into the season, I expected him to actually be better catching the ball because I still had questions about this Giants offensive line and you saw what Pat Shermer likes to do offensively especially with Jarek McKinnon right Jarek McKinnon last season caught a ton of passes and it was only on the field for about half the snap so as long as Saquon Barkley's seeing a ton of snaps he's gonna be catching a lot of passes well, and you talk about pass catching and Coach Shermer, the man in Minnesota, putting together gaudy numbers. Adam Thielen, his fifth straight 100-yard game, 47 catches a season, paying for just shy of 600 yard, only three touchdowns. Should he be mentioned in the same breath as the truly elite wide receiver, or is he more a product of the offense they're running up there in the Twin Cities? No, he's truly elite right now. And Kirk Cousins loves him. He's been targeted 10 or more times in every game. Had a game with like 19 targets earlier this season, right? He's possibly the league's very best route runner. He's got great hands. He provides a big target as well. The the arms and catch radius are better than you think. And so right now, this is just a perfect match with Kirk Cousins. Although Kirk Cousins doomed us a little bit this past Sunday. So I don't want to give him too many props. No, I can't give him too many props. I wasn't going to bring that up. The pocket awareness is driving me nuts. Step into the pocket, Cousins. Step into the pocket. (laughs) And a coach that's much maligned on this podcast, I do have to give them a little credit where credit is due. Mike Tomlin continues his mastery of the Cincinnati Bengals, the Steelers. Their seventh straight win against their divisional foe. Dominate him on the stat sheet, 7.2 yards per play to 4.7. Show the offensive balance. And at least for the second straight week, they get James Conner involved. They should allow him to run the football. It pays dividends there, so all appears to be well, at least for a week in the Steel City uh, as as the Steelers go into their bye. But Payne, with the good comes the bad, and uh, there are so many different places to start this weekend. Uh, I want to know what you saw that really disappointed you on that side. Um, Listen, I think it's a game that we could probably take a little bit away from because I watched every snap. So I think you have to look at the Broncos' run defense. That was ugly. Um, I thought they did a good job getting to golf a few times in, in some key spots as well. And the secondary held up better than I expected, especially once we saw Cooks and Cup get upgraded. Uh, but defensively, stopping the ground game was an issue last week. Uh, Todd Gurley set a career record for rushing yards. Um, when you back out the noise of the quarterback kneels at the end, 37 rushes for 272 as a team for the Rams. And... I think this just paints the picture and continues to paint the picture that Vance Joseph needs to probably relieved of his duties. I think you got to boot him at this point. Usually I'm not a proponent of the midseason boot because you always have to ask yourself, what's the next option? Is there a better option for this year? Um, And right now this Broncos run defense was number one in success rate last year. They're 29th this season. I think everyone wants him gone. The defense has talked about removing him and him just being too complicated as a defensive mind it doesn't let him play fast I think there's a battle internally with the offensive coordinator I think things will be much better offensively if you do get them running how they want to run and the other thing is even if you do shit can him and everything goes awry 
now you have a chance at potentially your franchise quarterback. I saw Elway there was uh, at the Oregon game this week looking at one specific quarterback. That he was, and I'm pretty sure that quarterback in the game he was looking at wasn't Jake Browning. No. <laughs> so, so, so when you mentioned the Broncos' run defense, Payne, I watched that Titans-Ravens game at least the first three quarters and was appalled by what I saw from the offensive line of Tennessee. They allowed 11 sacks. They mustered a grand total of 106 yards of total offense. They punted on every single drive, which I guess is a credit to them for not turning it over, but averaged a paltry 2.6 yards per play. What is going on in Nashville with this Titans offense or lack thereof? I think we talked about this game on Thursday. My memory shot, but I believe we discussed or broke down this game on Thursday, and it was more about Matt Lafleur and his offense struggling constantly. Um, you know, they're below average both rushing and passing success rate. There's no pop or explosion from the offense either. There's issues protecting Mariota. You know, all those issues <laughs> kind of reared their head in full against uh, Baltimore on Sunday. I don't think that was shocking, right? It's an elite Ravens defense, but. The plays that I did watch, or the little bit of the game I watched, Mariota missed a number of wide-open deep shots. Two of them were at least walk-in touchdowns. Uh, But I think the thing that paints the picture most here is Mariota dropped back to throw the ball 28 times this past week. Only attempted 15 passes. So the man was running for his life. Ravens had 11 sacks. Everything is a mess offensively right now for the Titans. I want to talk, I mean, a mess offensively there, a mess defensively in Atlanta. And I want to get your take because I sent out a tweet and I got well, eviscerated by some football fans. I knew it was fans. coming. I was going to actually set you up for this, actually. Well, no, no. And you're my, you're my voice of reason here. So if I'm wrong, correct me for being wrong. <laughs> but talk me through the end of the game situation. The, for those folks that didn't watch, the Falcons are playing the Bucks. Falcons are up two points, have a fourth and one situation in plus territory at the 39-yard line. Dan Quinn, with his offense on the field, instead of electing to at least keep it in Matt Ryan's hands, brings out Matt Ryan for a 57-yard field goal. Now, Bryant makes the field goal to extend to a five-point game. Ultimately, Tampa goes all the way down the field in a series of laterals. That's a different discussion in of itself when you have a quarterback and some weapons like that and you're trying chicanery at the end of the game. If you're Dan Quinn, what's the right decision to make there in that spot? Don't you want to try and just run the clock out and go into the victory celebration? Or would you have kicked a field goal or maybe even punted in that spot? Well, what did we see last week, right? McVay keeps it in his hands, and uh, he picks up the first down, and the game's over. I think that's probably the right call. And I, I was looking at some of the comments that you got sent. And I think the biggest reason why the 57-yard field goal is laughable and why you know Atlanta fans were back and you're like oh they're being aggressive kicking the field goal to go up five to me that's a joke right like it was third down and two the prior down if you want to be aggressive and end the game pick up a first down right you have a franchise quarterback Matt Ryan and I'm not mistaken you just re-upped him for 150 million in the offseason and so you apparently felt more comfortable uh, handing it off to a rotational running back in, in Tevin Coleman and right now he's like 34th in yards above replacement and wasn't all that good in that game. So if you want to be aggressive for the Atlanta fans that were saying he was being aggressive kicking that field goal, you put it in Matt Ryan's hands or Julio Jones' hands. You can make a safe pass, right? Like we're watching now in 2018 with Matt Nagy and Sean McVay, you can have these uh, efficient short passes where, you know, it's an end around and it's just a pop pass. We saw it with the Trey Burton touchdown, right? That's not an overly difficult pass. It's one, even if you don't pick up the first down, the clock's still running, which you were trying to achieve with the ground game. You should have went for it you should have been more aggressive on third and two, and you should have went for it on fourth and one. That's being aggressive, not kicking a 57-yard field goal. 
My favorite part was people coming at me as if I had a ticket on the Bucks plus three and a half. Now, full disclosure, it was a game you and I discussed, and we said if we could have taken six, we'd have been all in on Tampa. But at three, three and a half, there was definitely not a whole lot of wiggle room. But I imagine that game changed the fate of a lot of people using them in contests yeah. uh, with well, that number hovering yeah. right around the field goal. Yeah, well, Even in our own bet the board contest. Yeah, I was, uh, I was one of those. Um, I was one of those and people. And so... Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, I mean, for a contest, I was right. I was right there with you. It wasn't actually a game I backed. With the good, the bad, there also comes the ugly and pain. I mean, how much longer do we have to live through the Nathan Peterman experiment in Buffalo? Now, I know he was designated the backup quarterback, and Josh Allen leaves that game. But I mean, good lord, this guy just shouldn't even be on an NFL roster. Uh he believes in Jesus, though. Apparently, I, I watched the entire presser, and. He said his life is good, doesn't really care about what he does as a quarterback. Um, I'm all about, you know, the religion thing, if that's the, the way you want to broach it. But you were in the league making millions and millions of bucks. You got to you gotta produce. It was always a pretty questionable draft pick. He he was one of those guys that was moving up the board, was getting a lot of hype, and I just I never saw it at Pittsburgh. Um, so I, I don't get it, right? And Bill O'Brien, I think, uh, gets a new lease on life in that game. He's getting a pass here. Uh, because that's a game that probably he loses to any other team in the NFL not named Buffalo. Uh, I know Watson was dealing with with the injury there to the chest, um, but it's ugly right now, I think. And I don't like anything that Buffalo's decided to do. I know they're going to be bad, but the whole Josh Allen thing, you went into the season knowing you were going to be starting one of two young quarterbacks, I thought. Whether it was Peterman, whether it was Josh Allen, you traded away guys in the offseason on your offensive line. You didn't kind of uh, add anybody to the mix. So if you were going down the path of starting young quarterbacks, you needed an offensive line to protect them. Like this could be for Josh Allen. I'm not saying the injury itself is is career-threatening, but we've seen this before with quarterbacks. When you throw them into the mix early and there's no offensive line, they get shell-shocked and they're ruined for, for good. So, enter, David Car- enter David Carr. Yeah. So that was the part that I don't get. But, you know, Buffalo is just bad, right? Dead last now in offensive points, total yards, yards per play, passing yards, and sacks per pass play. It's 2018. It's passing league. It's never going to bode well with stuff like that. Well, you mentioned a passing league and a team that probably should have passed entirely on taking their trip across the <laughs> pond, the Oakland Raiders. I mean, travel situation set this thing up poorly when John Gruden comes out and says things that you probably never want to hear from a head coach. Uh, But the performance on the field was nothing short of spectacular. 185 yards of offense, 3.3 yards per play. I don't know where you want to point the fingers as what's going on in Oakland, but uh, it hasn't exactly been a honeymoon uh, for John Gruden coming back to the Bay Area. I'm a little, I mean, it's not an us kind of game, but not having a penny on Seattle didn't sit well after you heard those quotes from John Gruden. And for a guy that's being paid $100 million, I would, I'd be pissed off if I'm Mark Davis at this point. Um, and, and it's not just specific to this game, right? It's about the roster. Like, what did Gruden do this offseason? And you know, he changed that entire roster dramatically. He claimed veterans were going to help Oakland compete this year. And now suddenly, if you kind of read between the lines, he's complaining about the lack of talent. He's saying the roster isn't good enough. And, you know, to me, it's about Gruden trying to save face. He's now trying to trade away all that young talent. I saw this week 
Um, he just put two guys on the trade block. Amari Cooper yeah, and Carl it? Joseph. Yeah, was it Amari Cooper and Carl Joseph? Yeah, he put his young guys on the trade block. So what he's doing now is, and I'm just telling you, this is he's 100% positioning this as a lack of talent. He's going to get rid of all his talent. He's going to claim, hey, we're going to build this from the bottom up now. Um, and he's basically just trying to get a lease on life, trying to get another year or two out of that contract is, is what it looks like now. I mean, offensively, there'd been some signs where they'd done some nice things and they're just undisciplined, right? Too many penalties to make up some of those yards. But you looked at some of the efficiency metrics, some of the success rate metrics, and offensively they were doing okay. It was like, okay, maybe Gruden has learned, um, you know, some 2018 tactics. And you know he's putting the time in offensively. But he's just not a very good coach. Um, and this is a complete retool now at this point. Yeah, I mean, you sit in the booth for a long time. It's a lot different when you're out there uh, in terms of in the trenches trying to lead your men than it is articulating something from 10,000 feet above. Uh, I mean, the game changes and passes people by. You wonder if Gruden will become a casualty that gets soaked up here. Oakland, of course, back themselves in a bit of a corner. And I don't want to spend a ton of time here, Pian, before we get into the, some of the look-ahead numbers, but Jacksonville, I mean, this was an elite defense, or at least it appeared to be the first four weeks of the season. The last two weeks, they've been nothing short of an abortion. I mean, uh, against Dallas, I don't even know what that was on the defensive side. Now, thankfully, we had the Cowboys plus the points, so that was a nice, easy cover. But, man... Talk about a no-show on that side of the ball. Man, I thought Jacksonville performed okay in, in the Kansas City game two weeks ago. I mean, they held them to under five yards per play. That was the first time all season. And uh, a 35% success rate, just the offense put them behind the eight ball. And, and so when you look at, you know, play-by-play, play, I thought Jacksonville's defense was very good against Kansas City. To, you know, this game here, this was an absolute <laughs> mess. And... You know, I think a lot of it has to do with what they're watching offensively. Like, it's tough to go out there every single series. No, you need to get stops. No, you need to create short fields, maybe even score to have a chance. Now, you know, Blake Borles can't do it all by himself. Um, that's clear. Uh, the offensive line there, I think, for Jacksonville is an issue. It's not as good as we expected, especially when you're going out and trying to sign flowers. Like, that. that's not a good sign. Uh, receivers are a little banged up. TJ Yeldon was decent he's not a number one workhorse they really need four net back but I think here is and it's not to you know go back to the positive I, I think you have to like what you saw from Dallas you have to give them credit I thought the offense was very efficient I, I know you don't want to run your potential franchise quarterback every single down but he needs to probably run the ball eight to 12 times a game the offense needs to have that added element because I don't think they're good enough in the throw game and I know uh, Cole Beasley had a great game and he was extremely efficient, had the two touchdowns, more than 100 yards, and they were targeting a former defensive player of the Cowboys. So they knew uh, that they were going to have some success targeting that defensive back. But even then, like you still didn't throw for 200 yards, like you're going to need Dak in the ground game. And if he gets injured, so be it. You're just not going to be able to win enough games if he's not running. Dak looked like Cam Newton light there with 80 plus yards in the ground, getting Cole Beasley involved, 100 plus yards and two touchdowns, but uh, I think there was some noise in the numbers there, but impressive performance from Dallas, to say the least. This is clearly a team uh, that showed its offensive medal of late, especially in home games. As we look to uh, market overreactions heading into, I think we're going into week seven. I can't keep track anymore. Uh, we'll start with the game in London, which thankfully is an early morning kickoff, which I don't understand why all these games aren't. Ratings aside, I mean, if you're going to move the games to London, allow people to watch them in a standalone time slot, even for those of us on the West Coast, but Current number has the Chargers a six and a half point chalk in that particular spot. Pain a look ahead number here had the Chargers minus three against the Titans. I know we didn't talk about the Chargers Browns game, but a field goal plus 
uh, adjustment this time of the year seems to be a big, big move. Yeah, I think you have to look at some of the injury points. I know that Tennessee offensive line got a little bit banged up. Uh, the Chargers did have their bags packed prior to the Browns game, so they'll be going straight over uh, to London across the pond. So uh, I think that helps just a little bit here. But the number is obviously inflated. Tennessee looked horrible. The Chargers look great. I think this is a team that's trending in the right direction. I don't know if we talked about this game or maybe it was a couple other spots I was doing you know, during the week. But... Um, you know, when you look at the Chargers, they're progressing nicely. I'm not a huge Anthony Lynn guy, but he's changed his ways just a little bit. Their two losses this year at the time had come to two undefeated teams, right? It was the Chiefs, um, and it was who was the second team they lost to? They were combined ten and zero. I know that the Chiefs and the Chiefs and the Rams. Chiefs and the Rams. So you're now looking at what eleven and one. So you know the teams they've lost to, not a big deal. Joey Bosa potentially on his way back here in a couple weeks. So this is a team that's trending nicely in the right direction. Offensively, the one thing that they needed to do this past weekend was hit the explosive play, um, really capitalize on Greg Williams' blitzing defense, and they did just that. Explosive plays, they were abundant. They were game-changing. You know, there's a couple where huge touchdowns, but there's a couple where they're backed up in their own end and they got it out to midfield, especially in the first half. So uh, I liked what I saw from the Chargers, but this line obviously... um, tough to lay it at this at this number oh it was one drive i mean the chargers looked like they were struggling offensively up seven to three the browns had squandered many opportunities and then in two plays philip rivers finds tyro williams to get him out to midfield and then the subsequent play finds him in the end zone and that was all she wrote for the cleveland browns this thing snowballed en route to the chargers 38 14 win speaking of those cleveland browns they're on the road at the tampa bay bucks current line has the bucks a three-point favorite at betonline.eg trending towards three and a half look ahead line here though Payne only had the bucks minus one and a half yeah it's interesting right i i didn't love what i saw from tampa especially offensively Mike Evans really wasn't incorporated into the game plan as much as I thought he would be. Certainly an overreaction here to how Cleveland looked at home. Uh, But with a hook here, potentially, that could be interesting. Certainly want to monitor the Baker Mayfield situation. Uh, Him dealing with the ankle. I would think he's going to be good to go. And the one thing that I was a little surprised about with Cleveland offensively, uh, Mayfield looked a little rattled. There was some guys that were streaking open. He didn't really take advantage of them. I don't know. He looked to have, I mean, he had an off game. And once he hurt the the ankle, it, was, it wasn't very good from him. I would think we see a much better effort here against a much easier defense. And the one thing that I thought uh, would give us some hope last week with Cleveland was once you backed out the Tyrod Taylor snaps and you adjusted for opponent, uh, Cleveland was actually in the top half of the league offensively in yards per play. So I thought that would translate a little bit. Maybe it will this week against a much easier defense in Tampa. And you mentioned the Baker Mayfield injury. Perfect opportunity to promote a guest to join us in just a matter of minutes. And Dr. David Chow, hopefully he can share what he saw there. I mean, I saw it in real time. Baker slips on the down marker and didn't appear to be the same quarterback. But uh, you're exactly right. I mean, sat in the pocket, held out of the ball a lot longer than we'd seen at least through his first few games as starting quarterback. Yeah, wouldn't release it. It was kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, whether it's not trusting receivers or what, I know Cleveland was extremely thin at that position. We'll see uh, status of Rashard Higgins and a couple of the other guys for their trip down to uh, you know, the west coast of Florida to take on the Bucks. 
Uh, current line paint on this game has the Eagles a four-point favorite at betonline.ag. Look-ahead number here had the Eagles a modest three-point favorite. Of course, the Eagles dominant in their Thursday night performance against the New York Giants. Carolina comes up a few points short, or I should say a few yards short, of what would have been an improbable comeback against the Washington Redskins. Big game on Thursday night in a tough spot for sure. Uh, looks like the team responded to what Malcolm Jenkins had to say. You would think that would carry over a little bit here. You do want to check on the left tackle, Jason Peters, there. He's been in and out of the lineup uh, for a couple weeks now. He's he's a tough dude dealing with the, the bicep injury. Let's see if he goes. So that would be tough without your left tackle if he isn't able to go. Um, if Wentz has time, he's going to be able to exploit this Carolina secondary. That's horrific. But, you know, the number is probably a touch high here, but I do want to monitor a couple of those key injuries. Vikings on the road at MetLife Stadium. You're looking at them a three-point favorite. Lay a dollar twenty at BetOnline.ag. Taking on the Jets. You mentioned the Jets and how impressed you were with Sam Darnold earlier in the show. The Vikings, though, on a look-ahead number, were a four-point favorite. So while it looks small in stature from a one-point move, again, much like the Eagles and Panthers, we're talking about key numbers here. Yeah, absolutely. That secondary key number in four, and then obviously the most important number in three. So a lot of value, despite it being just one number. Um, maybe a game we're going to talk about on Thursday, potentially. Uh, you know, listen, the market seems to agree with my Sam Darnold assessment. It will be interesting to see what Minnesota defense we get this week. Is it going to be the elite one? I'm not sure, especially with Hughes down. It looks like he's going to be out for the season with a pretty tough injury there in that Viking secondary. Sam Darnold could have some success here, I would think. And I would also think Minnesota has some success offensively as well. Two teams uh, that you can put one, maybe a front runner in this conference and one a little bit of a dark horse, given the fact that it doesn't come with that same offensive reputation. But a game I'm most excited to watch this coming weekend. It's the Baltimore Ravens paying a two and a half point favorite at betonline.ag. They draw the Saints off of that Drew Brees record setting performance on Monday Night Football. Of course, the Saints had it by so extra time to rest and recover. Now, what shows is a two and a half point move through non key numbers in the zero. The Ravens were a pick and the look ahead price. Yeah, obviously, you know, the huge dominating performance helps here. This, to me, could be the most interesting matchup of the entire week, and I think we'll get a little better glimpse of how real these teams are. They're both real, but I think we find out here which one is a Super Bowl contender. Obviously, New Orleans away from the Dome, not as good, but I want to see that matchup because Baltimore just plays a physical brand of football under Harbaugh. He really wants to establish the ground game. That's the one spot New Orleans defense has been really effective. You also want to monitor the Marshawn Lattimore situation, had the concussion against the Redskins. He has had time to prepare, uh, some time to recover, rather, but it's his second concussion, and so there's been some concern there. Obviously, if he's out, that would be a big concern for that New Orleans defense. I like our Ravens win total. I like it even more if they can have a big, big win in this spot coming home after three straight games on the road. And as we talked about, we're going to learn a lot more about the Saints over the next four weeks. Three out of their next four games all on the road, the lone home game during that stretch against the Los Angeles Rams. So they'll have a chance to really cement themselves as a contender in the NFC if they acquit themselves nicely during this four-game stretch. And last but not least, the game on Monday Night Football, pain where it's the Atlanta Falcons, a five-and-a-half-point favorite at betonline.ag. This was a game on a look-ahead number that had Atlanta, a three-point favorite, lay $1.20. The Falcons slipped by the Bucks, and, of course, the Giants bludgeoned in front of a national audience against the Eagles. Interesting game. Let's just put it that way. Um, 
don't have to get too far into it. I mean, it's a game that we're going to preview in great detail this time next week. So I, I will just say, you know, the Giants this year and in most years seem to do well on the road as a dog. Um, I think you'll also have to monitor some of those situations with the Atlanta Falcons secondary. Uh, I'm sorry, receiving core. A couple guys got nicked up there with Sanu and Ridley, yeah? Yep, they did. Uh, both guys nicked up. Ridley wasn't able to finish. I don't think it slowed down Atlanta's offense at all. But Muhammad Sanu, I mean, a chronic injury there. Don't want to speculate. But you know what, Payne? The nice part is when it comes to injuries, we don't have to speculate on the Monday Bet the Board podcast. Are you injured or are you <laughs> When injuries occur in the NFL, there's only one man to turn to. If you hurt, you can still play. If you're injured, you can't. Let's check in with 17-year NFL team doctor turned medical analyst, Dr. David Chow. So are you hurt or are you injured? This is Chow's Corner. He joins us every Monday here on the Bet the Board podcast to provide a little clarity in what is the Monday morning muddled mess of the National Football League. You can follow Dr. David Chow on Twitter at ProFootballDoc. And Dr. Chow, we had a bunch of different places we could have started your segment this week, but I want to go to the wide receiver position and look at Cooper Cup. And forgive my ignorance here, but typically when a player gets carted off the field in the first half, it's a little bit unorthodox to see him back out there alive and well to start the second half. Uh, It it is unorthodox, but it's happened, uh, you know, not infrequently in the NFL. I mean, it's understandable for doctors, especially in this health and safety era, to uh, be cautious sometimes. And on occasion, the the cart's used uh, just for uh, convenience uh, based on where x-ray is or or what have you. But this is why I always say don't judge by the cart. Don't judge by player reactions where uh, a player being carted off is given well wishes. That doesn't always translate. I always look at the video itself and the facts and not the emotion and how it happens. I mean, think back to... uh, week one of the season when Aaron Rodgers was carted off in the first half against uh, the Bears and uh, everyone was thinking the season was uh, over and he came back admittedly hobbled but uh, led uh, the Packers to a victory come from behind victory in the second half so it does happen and Cooper Cup you know a horse collar type tackle didn't look good but if you really looked at it instead of the high ankle fracture that happened sometimes with the horse collar or the MCL. The knee and the foot were bent up in a funny way, but I don't think there's going to be a ton of structural damage. He did come back briefly in the second half, although a little limited. Uh, So uh, once again, uh, can't always judge by the cart. Dr. Chow, I wasn't going to ask you about this, but you did make mention of Aaron Rodgers and obviously uh, a huge game tonight on Monday Night Football. What have you seen from Aaron Rodgers? I know there was a little setback they discussed after the Lions game. He was in the rehab group earlier on this week. He mentioned that he might have to go back to a larger brace after this minor setback. Do we have any news there on on Aaron Rodgers? Not in the last couple of days. I wrote an article uh, a few days back earlier in the week uh, at ProFootballDoc.com talking about Aaron Rodgers and his setback. It was a re-injury. He scrambled from uh, third and four from his own 44-yard line, scrambled, moved well to the right sideline, and lunged for the the first down marker, leaving his left trail leg exposed. And he got a, a 
slight MCL re-aggravation. Limped a little bit, but continued to play. Uh, yeah, he might go back to the bigger brace. Uh, Tom Brady wears that brace prophylactically on his lead leg, left leg, all the time. And uh, he's been taking snaps under center. I think he's looked a lot better. Uh, I always said all along he was going to get to 100% this month, but absent re-aggravation, which now maybe happened. But he's still going to play and be effective. I don't see it as being that big of a deal in this uh, game tonight. Interesting. And another quarterback that didn't actually make his way onto the field in Ryan Tannehill. That seemed like a surprise injury that popped up this weekend. I know they mentioned uh, he had some soreness on Wednesday. Uh, then there was mention that this was an injury potentially from the Oakland game, and he just played through the pain against Cincinnati. What are you hearing on the actual injury of Ryan Tannehill and its severity? Well, this one fooled me a little bit. I think it fooled everybody when he popped up on the uh, limited in practice on Friday and questionable. You know, the Dolphins have a history of uh, putting a lot of guys on the questionable <laughs> list and activating them all. So uh, there was a little misdirection here. But it just did not make sense to me that this was related to a week three AC joint sprain against the Raiders. First of all, this is week six. I've had lots of quarterbacks play through AC joint injuries, and usually by week three after the injury, the effects are really minimalized. The recovery is pretty standard for AC joint separations. And remember, he was full practice Wednesday and Thursday before being limited, so the fact pattern didn't fit. There was a later tweet and some beat reporters information that indeed it is his throwing shoulder but it's not the AC joint. There's some sort of shoulder sprain going on. So we'll need to find out more information. And, uh, you know, one thing, I'm not sure how much to make of it, but I think there's something here. I mean, Adam Gase was pretty testy <laughs> after the game when asked about Ryan Tannehill. I mean, it's not like he's been asked a ton about it. This was a surprise pop-up, and he – quoted that he couldn't talk because of HIPAA, which is not true. He's not a medical <laughs> professional. He's not bound by that at all. I mean, he's bound by other reasons not to say things. And uh, so it starts to lead you to think, what happened there? What is he hiding there? And so we got to follow that. There's no guarantee Ryan Tannehill plays next week. <laughs> Absolutely agree. I actually heard that presser live and, and got a pretty good chuckle about Adam Gase's and, and how he handled that situation. Uh, a couple more quarterbacks. Anything to worry about on the Derek Carr front? It looked like he took a shot to his arm late in that game. It seemed to be hard enough that, you know, we saw Carr kind of crying on the field. There is a bye week coming up. What do we know about that injury? Well, I think he just got hit on the arm hard. I mean, a contusion. Uh, I don't think there's any structural damage. Um, you know, I never blame a player for reacting on the field. It's an emotional game. But, you know, he usually does come back and, and play through. He did not return to the game, but only because it was a fourth quarter injury and, and didn't really get another offensive snap. But with a bye, I, I don't see this being a big deal. That's that's big time then. Uh, Baker Mayfield slipped down uh, in the second quarter. It looked like on the first down marker. Uh, he did finish the game, but he was severely hobbled, it looked like, throughout. What do we know about that ankle injury and its severity moving forward? Yeah, uh, I, I posted some video of it on Twitter. He slipped on the, yeah, the, the, the little plastic strip that they put down at the first down marker in case you pull the chains out of the way. They still can uh, see it. And he slipped there and uh, continued. But, you know, a lot of us probably have experienced this when you 
sprain your ankle and you keep going, uh, let's say you're playing pickup basketball and you sprain your ankle and you keep going, you're fine. But then you sit out for a game and it's really hard to get going again once you cool off. And obviously he he finished the game, but it was definitely getting stiff on him, especially with the defensive uh, having to take the field and he's sitting and also the halftime. But I don't think this is a big long-term deal. Will it affect him in practice this week? Maybe. He might miss a little time in practice and might be limited, but I don't see how he doesn't take the field for the next game. Understandable, yeah. And last quarterback I have a question about here is Deshaun Watson. He came into the week questionable. That was a point spread that didn't get released until later in the week until things were seemed a little bit more certain. They were calling it a chest injury. It looked like he was pretty impacted by whatever was going on. He was just 15 for 25, had two picks and a QBR of 13. What do we know about the chest injury? What exactly is the injury um, and how severe is it? Well, you know, uh, everyone made a lot of note of him uh, being examined with a stethoscope on the sideline the previous week. That obviously indicated they were listening for breast sounds. Some sort of uh, chest contusion and or pulmonary contusion. And, you know, I was asked, uh, you know, how how might it affect him with a chest injury? Well, it affects you to breathe with a chest injury, right. uh, obviously, and, uh, and not only move and turn. So I, I think that may have been some of the cumulative effects of what was going on with him. Uh, the good news is uh, another week is going to make a big difference, and uh, I think he's going to have this mostly behind him in another week in terms of symptoms, and he'll be a different guy. And so hopefully that'll be uh, true. There's one other quarterback that we should make mention of, which is Josh Allen. Uh, he left the game after being uh, hit uh, maybe a tad late. Uh, it wasn't a super hard hit between Jadavian Clowney and uh, – and merciless, uh, but he appeared to have a take a direct blow and hyperextend his elbow, and uh, he took another snap through the ball and then immediately came out of the game. I don't see anything huge or structural. Ian Rappaport is reporting an MRI this morning on Josh Allen. I don't think it's going to be a Tommy John type thing uh, where there's uh, big time career implications and surgery, but uh, we'll have to see how uh, what the MRI shows and uh, and how much swelling there is. Uh, he's a, still a question mark for uh, next week going forward. Now, Dr. Chow, Payne, you normally gets to ask about the quarterbacks. I mean, he's the face of the Bet the Board franchise, so he has to leave me to do a little bit more of the heavy lifting here. And when you look at some of the other key contributors on the offensive line or on the defense, Jason Peters goes down Thursday night for the Eagles in that big win against the Giants. Suffered bicep strain, but have you seen anything that could potentially keep him out of the lineup, knowing how important he is to what Philadelphia wants to do offensively? Well, you know, it appears to be a proximal biceps tear, and uh, distal biceps tears uh, end up needing surgery. Proximal biceps tears don't end up needing surgery, and that's the good news there. I think it may be a week, two at most, before he returns, but he should be able to finish off the season. Uh, so uh, at least there's some good news for the Eagles. And last but not least, on the defensive side, Cincinnati will be featured in prime time and next Sunday night. It'll be an all-hands-on-deck type effort against the Kansas City Chiefs. Their leading tackler, Nick Vigil, injures his left knee, was on crutches. Uh, anything to shed a little bit of light on his potential availability going forward? Well, I'll have to look for some better video on that. Uh, it was a cut block uh, kind of away from the ball, and he was uh, on the ground, and I think – 
and I'm hoping he escaped, you know, an ACL or major injury by getting his leg out quickly enough. Uh, but there wasn't great close up on it, so I'll have to look and maybe we'll see more when the All 22 was out. But you know, if you're projecting, uh, crutches doesn't project to playing in one week. It's the kind of analysis you can't find anywhere else in the National Football League regarding injuries, not only for your sports betting purposes, uh, but also for your fantasy seasons going forward. Encourage all of you, our loyal listeners, to check out his analysis throughout the course of the week at profootballdoc.com. You, of course, can follow Dr. David Chow on Twitter at profootballdoc. Dr. Chow, can't thank you enough for uh, adding a little bit more clarity into our life this fine Monday morning. Thanks, guys. You know, Payne, we spent so much time talking about the Jets. I, I feel like it's on me that we didn't ask Dr. Chow about Quincy and Nunwa and how important he's been to Sam Darnold's development. That was probably the one injury maybe we should have snuck in there. I'm curious to see how he responds this week with the high ankle sprain. It's going to be tough, I would think, with a high ankle sprain, and certainly that is Sam Darnold's binky, so to speak. That's his security blanket. Um, he's the guy that's a big target over the middle of the field. Does look like he's Getting a little bit better rapport there with Robbie Anderson. Hit him a couple times deep in the Denver game. Had a couple catches this past game. So if if you can get Robbie Anderson going a little bit more, that'll go a long ways. But certainly Quincy Nunwa. I know a lot of people will look at that injury or hear about that injury, and be like, ah, you know, who's that guy? Uh, but he is vital to the offense, keeping the chains going, uh, and, and really provides that nice big target to Sam Darnold over the middle, which he doesn't really have uh, in the way of a tight end. I don't think. Yeah, such a wealth of information and a great element that uh, I think, you know, to add to the podcast on Mondays when we recap what we saw over the weekend, how some of these injuries will impact things going forward. And of course, I know we plug his stuff plenty, but be sure to check out the injury updates throughout the course of the week. Profootballdoc.com. Dr. Chow does an excellent job keeping you apprised of everything that's going to impact your handicapping for the upcoming weekend. We do have one last game to get to, though, Payne, and it's not a marquee by any stretch of the imagination, but there's a point spread, there's a total, and I know our (laughs) listeners will be betting on it whether or not we guide them there or not. It is the San Francisco 49ers on the road at Lambeau Field taking on the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay, a nine-point favorite at betonline.ag. Total on this game, 46 from an efficiency standpoint, San Francisco doesn't do anything especially well. Green Bay, of course, trying to find their way with Aaron Rodgers anything but 100%. But I guess the first question I have for you, San Francisco has been banged up at the running back position a bit. Matt Breida, probably their best game breaker that they have on the roster. Do we expect him to give it a go tonight? Um, Tough to say. I didn't think he'd progress this well. Uh, he was limited at practice this week. I think it's probably a long shot for him to go. He's dealing with a bunch of other injuries as well. Uh, he's got the shoulder. He's got the knees, got the ankle. So uh, I'm shocked he's been even limited participant, but he's a tough guy. We'll see. Alfred Morris, I think should be in line if he doesn't play for a, a wealth of touches. I would think probably 20 or more, depending on how this game plays out. He is pretty efficient with the zone blocking scheme. That's why uh, Shanahan brought him in, dealt with him in, in his days over in Washington. So I think Alfred Morris should be fine between the tackles. Did some nice things uh, catching the ball out of the backfield as well. Um, and I think the other thing to monitor here when you're talking about injuries to this 49ers offense is the offensive line. And 
I, I know we went into depth, I think, in this position in our preview podcast, and, and we thought this would be a strength, right? Four guys all selected in the first round of the draft, but so far, this hasn't been a great offensive line. Doing some nice things as run blockers, really struggling, though, as pass blockers. Sixth worst and worst an adjusted sack rate through three weeks. Um, and Jimmy G was the second most pressured quarterback through those same three weeks. Now, the last two weeks, a little better. You know, C.J. Beathard it hasn't been nearly um, as pressured as much as Jimmy G was. I think that's probably a matchup to look forward to tonight. Can Green Bay get after the quarterback? Uh, I think that's probably important to discuss, right? Um, because, again, these three injuries, guard Mike Pearson, center Weston Richburg, and tackle Joe Staley, they've all been limited this week. All three are starters. So, uh, And they were limited, even uh, with Sunday's walkthrough yesterday. So even if they do play, if you're still limited a day before the game, probably not going to be 100%. And you mentioned San Francisco struggles offensively. Obviously, we know the headliner, Jimmy G, not there. He hands the baton to C.J. Beathard. You mentioned the offensive line. Uh, but defensively, I mean, this was a group pain. I don't think either of us expected a whole lot from coming into the season. You can make the claim that their defensive strength has been Richard Sherman. He's only been targeted 10 times on 145 pass plays this season, the second lowest rate in the NFL. But Sherman's a far cry from what we grew accustomed to as the face and the voice of the Legion of Boom up there in Seattle. However, historically, Aaron Rodgers has erred on the side of caution and not throw to Sherman's side. Do we think any of that changes? And it's a much different narrative tonight at Lambeau. He doesn't appear to be the same guy, but Sherman's metrics are pretty good. Um, as you alluded to, guys aren't throwing at him. That injury, though, I mean, kudos to him for even coming back because when you have an Achilles at that position, it's tough. Uh, I've, I've seen Tony Lippett deal with it down here, and it, he went from being one of the Dolphins' better corners uh, to not being on an NFL roster. So it's a tough injury. Uh, when you do look at that San Francisco defense, I think it's been really improved this season. A lot of young linemen up front, they've shown pretty well. Uh, I know for like the pure efficiency number guys, the improvement won't look that drastic. They were 26 last year, 21st this year, but they've improved despite their schedule getting significantly tougher. And so I think that's a good sign that we're seeing from the 49ers defense well above average uh, in both rushing and passing success rate defense, uh, well above average in defending both explosive runs and passes. They've played the fifth toughest schedule of opponent offenses right now. So uh, when you look at who they've played, right? Mahomes, Rivers, Cousins, and Stafford. Tonight, they get Aaron Rodgers. So that defense, I think, is doing a pretty good job despite what, you know, look like middling or below average uh, efficiency metrics. Well, that defense, like you said, will get tested tonight uh, again against Rodgers. Clearly, this Green Bay offense hasn't been as dynamic as we've grown accustomed to. But honestly, Payne, I've watched the Packers, and we talk about efficiency numbers, and maybe you know my untrained eye doesn't see some of the same things. They see Green Bay at number 17 as far as defensive efficiency is concerned. I feel like this unit has drastically improved year over year, obviously, and has upside uh, to be significantly better with some of the disruptive forces they have and Clay Matthews' ability to get pressure on the quarterback and a back end that's been a little bit nicked up but is showing some of the metal uh, with so much youth and experience in, in their back Yeah, seven. I mean, I really liked some of their additions. I thought Pettin was a decent coach. He'd been out for a few years. He delivered a pretty nice message at the beginning of the season and appeared everyone bought in. But they are dealing with some injuries now. They've had some key ones to the defensive line position, linebacker, and to the secondary. So at every level, and, and you did mention that they are 17th in defensive efficiency, but it's come against the second easiest schedule of opponent offenses. So 
um, kind of the opposite of what we've seen from the 49ers defense. It'll be interesting to see how C.J. Beathard looks tonight against his defense. Um, he's been okay, completing nearly 67% of his passes, but he's been checked down Charlie. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he can implement something new into his game. He's only attempted five passes of 20 or more yards. And when you look, I mean, they've trailed in both of his starts. So he's not pushing the ball down the field at all. And you talked about the injury to Matt Breida. Green Bay dealing with some question marks on the offensive side of their own. Randall Cobb, Geronimo Allison, both hamstring going to be game time decisions. Brian Bulaga questionable and then you look at that Green Bay secondary Jair Alexander the talented rookie that they took out of Louisville when I approach this game though side or total pain I mean I would have loved a a bigger number here knew it wasn't going to get it maybe in the ballpark of 48 but have you seen any money coming in uh, on either the favorite the underdog the over the under anything notable uh, worth reporting did open soft 10 at one of the sharper shops so I have seen a little San Francisco money at, at 10 but nothing significant have seen a little under money and I think partly to mention you know Brita being banged up Aaron Rodgers having a little bit of that setback I know uh, Dr. Chow kind of eased some minds there but anytime you're going backwards uh, instead of forwards I think that's a little bit of a concern the wide receiver position you mentioned uh, Devontae Adams wasn't on the injury report at all this week so I think that's big Um, Allison did clear the concussion protocol but he's still dealing with the hamstring issue he practiced a little bit on Friday in pads. Cobb also dealing with that hamstring injury. He's missed the last two games. So it feels like those two are trending towards playing. It'll be interesting what the number does if those two get upgraded. Um, but when you look at how Green Bay is moving offensively right now, I, I think it feels like they're more successful on the ground. Um, I know you're an Aaron Jones guy. I think he's been probably a, a breath of fresh air. Pride of UTEP football, baby. The pride of UTEP yeah, football. And, you know, the problem is, like, he's a good runner. And he's clearly, I think, the Packers' best option running the ball. He's struggling in his protection. And, and that was my caveat when people were getting hyped about Aaron Jones. With Aaron Rodgers battling with this knee injury, having a guy like Jamal Williams who's great as a blocker and having that you know, added insurance, that line of protection uh, is why he's seeing a ton of snaps. So Jones has been great. He's their best runner. He's really elusive, um, averaging over three yards after first contact, but he's just not seeing the snaps. 25% week three, 38% week four, and then he's back down last week to 27%. I know Aaron Rodgers has has clamored for him to get more snaps. Maybe we see that, maybe more of the ground game, and, and that could certainly impact this total if they're running the ball more here tonight. There's a joke to be made somewhere in there about NFL running backs struggling with protection and not including Travis Henry somewhere in that equation, but Oof. it's a little early on a Monday to try and Boop. delve into uh, topics topics of that sort. And on that note, I think we've done a uh, marvelous job of trying to tie up some of the things for NFL Week 6. I guess I have to ask you, anything worth investing in tonight's football game? Or are we going to take some of our winnings? No one to hold them, no one to fold them, no one to walk away, no one yeah, to Yeah, I, I think that's probably the smartest approach. Would have liked a total a touch higher. Um, and for me... I can't get on San Francisco because of the offensive line injuries. Now, they all, again, they all may play, but I would think they're all far less than 100% if they've been limited the last few days of practice. So that's what concerns me. Sure, you might get them in there, 
what does it look like? Is one of them going to drop like a fly during the game? Uh, you know, that that's the big thing for me. If they were healthy on the offensive line, I could certainly maybe talk myself into getting to the window if it got to 10. But right now, I just I don't see an opportunity here uh, to invest. I think we probably find some better spots here as, as week seven approaches. That is the name of the game, knowing when there's opportunity and knowing when to save your bullets for another day. But fortunately, Payne, and a friendly reminder again, there are free ways for our loyal Bet the Board listeners to get involved in Monday Night Football. All the upside, none of the risk. Can you lay out the 200th episode contest that'll be made available today? Yeah, one last time, just head over to our Twitter account, BetTheBoardPod. It'll be a pinned tweet. You'll see the contest. It'll deal with a little bit of all elements here, right? We're going to make you pick the side. We're going to make you pick the total. And maybe even for those fantasy guys, you have to pick a player uh, that has a good evening. So the contest is posted. It'll be a $200 cash prize to the winner uh, and a lot of Bet the Board gear. So head over to the Twitter account, Bet the Board Pod. You will see the contest posted. Follow all the rules and... Uh, you might have a shot at a big prize. Everything we do, we do for you, the listener, and uh, just want to show our appreciation. It's been because of all the loyal support, the continued growth, that we've been able to reach this tremendous milestone, 200th episode across all sports platforms, you name it, for Bet the Board. When we started with just modest listenership, have grown exponentially since that fateful first show. So for Pain Insider, follow him on Twitter, at Pain Insider. I am Todd Furman. You can follow me there. Of course, follow our Monday guest, Dr. David Chow, at ProFootballDoc. And most importantly, the podcast Twitter account, at BetTheBoardPod. Best of luck with all of your Monday night football selections on the Green Bay Packers against the, who are they playing? San Francisco 49ers. And hopefully we'll see you at the window. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Bet the Board ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondry Plus and Apple Podcasts. But before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey.